about to read and discuss one of the very longest chapters in the Bible. Obviously, Psalm 119 is the longest chapter, but depending on how you count chapters, this is one of the longest, 1 Kings chapter 8. So hang in there as we read, and then we'll chat about it after. Then Solomon assembled the elders of Israel with all the heads of the tribes, the princes of the fathers' households of the children of Israel, to King Solomon in Jerusalem to bring up the Ark of Yahweh's covenant out of David's city, which is Zion. All the men of Israel assembled themselves to King Solomon at the feast in the month Ethanim, which is the seventh month. All the elders of Israel came and the priests picked up the Ark. They brought up Yahweh's Ark, the tent of meeting, and all the holy vessels that were in the tent. The priests and the Levites brought these up. King Solomon and all the congregation of Israel who were assembled to him, were with him before the ark, sacrificing sheep and cattle that could not be counted or numbered for multitude. The priests brought in the ark of Yahweh's covenant to its place, into the inner sanctuary of the house, to the most holy place, even under the cherubim's wings. For the cherubim spread their wings out over the place of the ark, and the cherubim covered the ark and its poles above. The poles were so long that the ends of the poles were seen from the holy place before the inner sanctuary, but they were not seen outside. They are there to this day. There was nothing in the ark except the two stone tablets which Moses put there at Horeb when Yahweh made a covenant with the children of Israel when they came out of the land of Egypt. It came to pass, when the priests had come out of the holy place, that the cloud lifted, the cloud filled Yahweh's house so that the priests could not stand to minister by reason of the cloud. For Yahweh's glory filled Yahweh's house. Then Solomon said, Yahweh had said that he would dwell in the thick darkness. I have surely built you a house of habitation, a place for you to dwell in forever. The king turned his face around and blessed all the assembly of Israel. And all the assembly of Israel stood. He said, Blessed is Yahweh, the God of Israel, who spoke with his mouth to David your father and has with his hand fulfilled it, saying, Since the day that I brought my people Israel out of Egypt, I chose no city out of all the tribes of Israel to build a house, that my name might be there, but I chose David to be over my people Israel. Now it was in the heart of David my father to build a house for the name of Yahweh, the God of Israel, but Yahweh said to David, my father, Whereas it was in your heart to build a house for my name, you did well that it was in your heart. Nevertheless, you shall not build the house, but your son who shall come out of your body, he shall build the house for my name. Yahweh has established his word that he spoke, for I have risen up in the place of David, my father, and I sit on the throne of Israel, as Yahweh promised, and have built the house for the name of Yahweh, the God of Israel. There I have set a place for the ark in which is Yahweh's covenant, which he made with our fathers when he brought them out of the land of Egypt. Solomon stood before Yahweh's altar in the presence of all the assembly of Israel and spread out his hand towards heaven. And he said, Yahweh the God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven above or on earth beneath who keeps covenant and loving kindness with your servants who walk before you with all their heart, who has kept with your servant David my father that which you promised him. Yes, 
You spoke with your mouth and have fulfilled it with your hand as it is today. Now therefore, may Yahweh, the God of Israel, keep with your servant David, my father, that which you have promised him, saying, There shall not fail from you a man in my sight to sit on the throne of Israel. If only your children take heed to their way, to walk before me as you have walked before me. Now therefore, God of Israel, please let your word be verified, which you spoke to your servant David my father. But will God in very deed dwell on earth? Behold, heaven and the heaven of heavens cannot contain you, how much less this house that I have built. Yet have respect for the prayer of your servant and for his supplication, Yahweh my God, to listen to the cry and to the prayer which your servant prays before you today, that your eyes may be open toward this house night and day, even toward the place of which you have said, My name shall be there, to listen to the prayer which your servant prays toward this place. Listen to the supplication of your servant and of your people Israel when they pray toward this place. Yes, hear in heaven your dwelling place, and when you hear, forgive. If a man sins against his neighbour, and an oath is laid on him to cause him to swear, and he comes and swears before your altar in this house, then hear in heaven and act, and judge your servants, condemning the wicked to bring his way on his own head, and justifying the righteousness, to give him according to his righteousness. When your people Israel are struck down before the enemy, because they have sinned against you, if they turn again to you, and confess your name and pray and make supplication to you in this house, then hear in heaven and forgive the sin of your people Israel and bring them again to the land which you gave to their fathers. When the sky is shut up and there is no rain because they have sinned against you, if they pray towards this place and confess your name and turn from their sin when you afflict them, then hear in heaven and forgive the sin of your servants and of your people Israel when you teach them the good way in which they should walk and send rain on your land, which you have given to your people for an inheritance. If there is a famine in the land, if there is a pestilence, if there is blight, mildew, locust or caterpillar, if their enemy besieges them in the land of their cities, whatever plague, whatever sickness there is, whatever prayer and supplication is made by any man, or by all your people Israel, who shall each know the plague of his own heart, and spread out his hands toward this house, and hear in heaven your dwelling place, and forgive and act, and give to every man according to all his ways, whose heart you know, for you, even you only, know the hearts of all the children of men, that they may fear you all the days that they live in the land which you gave to our fathers. Moreover, concerning the foreigner who is not of your people Israel, when he comes out of a far country for your name's sake, for they shall hear of your great name and of your mighty hand and of your outstretched arm. When he comes and prays towards this house, hear in heaven your dwelling place and do according to all that the foreigner calls to you for, that all the peoples of the earth may know your name to fear you, as do your people Israel, and that they may know that this house which I have built is called by your name. If your people go out to battle against their enemy by whatever way you shall send them, and they pray to you toward the city which you have chosen and toward the house which I have built for your name, then hear in heaven their prayer and their supplication 
and maintain their cause. If they sin against you, for is that there is no man who doesn't sin, and if you are angry with them, and deliver them to their enemy, so that they carry them away captive to the land of their enemy, far off or near, yet if they repent in the land where they are carried captive, and turn again, and make supplication to you in the land of those who carried them captive, saying, We have sinned, and have done perversely, we have dealt wickedly. If they return to you with all their heart, and with all their soul in the land of their enemies, who carried them captive, and pray to you toward their land, which you gave to their fathers, the city which you have chosen, and the house which I have built for your name, then hear their prayer and their supplication in heaven, your dwelling place, and maintain their cause. And forgive your people who have sinned against you, and all their transgressions in which they have transgressed against you, and give them compassion before those who carried them captive, that they have, may have compassion on them. For they are your people and your inheritance, which you brought out of Egypt from the middle of the iron furnace, that your eyes may be open to the supplication of your servant and to the supplication of your people Israel to listen to them whenever they cried to you. For you separated them from among all the peoples of the earth to be your inheritance. As you spoke by Moses your servant when you brought our fathers out of Egypt, Lord Yahweh. It was so that when Solomon had finished praying all this prayer, and supplication to Yahweh, he arose from before Yahweh's altar, from kneeling on his knees with his hands spread out towards the heaven. He stood and he blessed all the assembly of Israel with a loud voice, saying, Blessed be Yahweh, who has given rest to his people Israel. According to all that he promised, there has not failed one word of all his good promise, which he promised Moses his servant. May Yahweh our God be with us, as he was with our fathers. Let him not leave us or forsake us, that he may incline our hearts to him, to walk in all his ways and to keep his commandments and his statutes and his ordinances which he commanded our fathers. Let these, my words, with which I have made supplication before Yahweh, be near to Yahweh our God day and night, that he may maintain the cause of his servant and the cause of his people Israel as every day requires that all the peoples of earth may know that Yahweh himself is God, there is none else. Let your heart therefore be perfect with Yahweh our God, to walk in his statutes and to keep his commandments as it is today. The king and all Israel with him offered sacrifices before Yahweh. Solomon offered for the sacrifice of peace offerings, which he offered to Yahweh, 22,000 head of cattle and 120,000 sheep, so the king and all the children of Israel dedicated Yahweh's house. The same day, the king made the middle of the court holy that was before Yahweh's house. For there he offered burnt offering and meal offering and the fat of the peace offerings because the bronze altar that was before Yahweh was too little to receive the burnt offering, the meal offering and the fat of the peace offerings. So Solomon held the feast at that time and all Israel was with him a great assembly from the entrance of Hamath to the brook of Egypt, before Yahweh our God for seven days and seven more days, even 14 days. On the eighth day, he sent the people away and they blessed the king and went to their tents joyful and glad in their hearts for all the goodness that Yahweh had shown to David, his servant, and to Israel, his people. 
Thank you for hanging in there with me for that very long chapter. This is the dedication of the temple and it's a grand occasion. Did you hear that? Solomon sacrificed 120,000 sheep. Have you ever seen what a thousand sheep looks like? 120 of those. You know, I've driven out west and uh, on the way to Longreach and I've seen sheep in paddocks and I might see a few hundred in a paddock. This is 120,000 sheep. And you know, 20,000 uh, cows and this was, and, and all Israel assembled here in this one place. It's a grand day. And the Bible says that the glory of God fills the temple. So this is an amazing, amazing occasion. And what we've got recorded here is Solomon's prayer and Solomon's blessing and then Solomon's advice to the people. And it's all good advice. <laughs> and there's some interesting things worth mentioning. First of all, it says that the temple was dedicated on the seventh month of the year. But in the previous two chapters ago, it tells us when the temple was finished being built, there's a gap of 11 months. So what they've done here is they've actually finished the temple, but not dedicated the temple for 11 more months. Now you'd have to say why? Well, the answer is really obvious. The seventh month of the year is the Feast of Tabernacles. That's the feast that celebrates God has come to be with us. Now that's what a temple is all about. A temple is all about the fact that God is coming to dwell with us. So they've actually waited to dedicate the temple until the Feast of Tabernacles, which is a seven day feast. And it's during that occasion that they have celebrated to God. Now you, you think about the temple in the New Testament which the Bible says that you and I, our lives being built together to be a holy temple. The temple is also a place for God to dwell. It's the same thing. It's tabernacles. It's the Feast of Tabernacles, except we don't remember it for a week every year. We remember it all the time. Our lives have become a dwelling place for God, and it's wonderful. And it says here that the glory of the Lord filled the temple. Now, I'd like to say that that is what's supposed to happen in the new covenant temple as well. The glory of God is supposed to fill that temple. But if you and I, we're believers, we're living stones, our lives are supposed to be knit together and joined so that we become a temple. If we don't love one another, if we compete with one another, like if, if you know, I'm sitting here thinking, oh, my church is a great church, but that church down the road, oh, they're no good. <laughs> if I've got terrible attitudes towards other parts of the temple, what we've got here is a temple in ruins and the glory of the glory of God is not in it. And what we want to see is that the body of Christ so built up, the temple of God so built that the glory of God fills it. And it's something to pray for. So it, it's both of these things at once. On one hand, it's already in a temple and it's already got God's glory in it. But on the other hand, it's we're becoming a temple because the Lord is still building our lives together and his glory is supposed to be so much more in it, it's something to pray for. Now, a few other things. In, in this chapter, it mentions that the Ark of the Covenant was put into the temple, but it said it only had the Ten Commandments in it. Previously, we've read that the Ark of the Covenant also had manna in it and Aaron's staff. So at some point, something's happened to those things. <laughs> we don't know what's happened to them. People have guessed, you know, what, at what point did those things disappear? Well, I guess it could have disappeared at any point, but it had to have disappeared at a point when someone took the lid off. <laughs> and that could have been when it was in the land of the Philistines. 
or it definitely could have been when it was coming back from the land of the Philistines in, in 1 Samuel, when about 50,000 people died. There was a great tragedy because all these people were trying to look into it. And you can go back to the early chapters of 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel 4 is when the Ark of the Covenant is taken away, and then 5, 6, 7, 8, those chapters after describing what happens to it in those subsequent years. You can go and read all of that, and maybe it happened during one of those chapters. But in any case, all we've got left is the Ten Commandments, which is fine. Now, Solomon then prays to dedicate the temple, and he prays the most interesting prayer. I don't think I, I've ever heard anyone pray a prayer like this since, or, you know, in my lifetime. But he basically prays prayers that go along this type of a line. You know, Lord, this is the temple, and how wonderful it is, and you're so great, and even all of the heavens cannot contain you, much less this temple. So he starts out with worship. And, um, and then he moves on to talking about if these people sin and they pray to this place, Lord, hear their prayer. So he goes through all these scenarios and he says, if there's a famine in the land or if there's a plague, and, and then he says, but Lord, if they repent, hear their prayer. So it's a very elaborate prayer going through all these scenarios of, of what could happen if people don't follow you, but Lord, always keep your ear open for them. And so that's also true today, except for the place isn't a physical place in Jerusalem. And you know, this prayer, if you think about this prayer from a purely Jewish point of view, they would have thought, you know, if we've done the wrong thing and God's displeased with us, we could pray towards that place. But that place doesn't exist anymore. There's no physical temple to pray toward. So Solomon's prayer, in one sense, is not even answered because there's no place to pray to now. But in another way of thinking about it, there's always a place. And the place is, the Lord doesn't dwell in a temple made by hands, he dwells in a temple of hearts. And when we look to him, um, he hears our prayers. When we humble ourselves, and in one way of thinking about it, the temple is the church, it's the body of Christ. And when people humble themselves and they look back to the body of Christ, in other words, they look back to fellowship. You know, there are some people that say, I don't, need, uh, I don't need to go to church to be a Christian. You know, I can be a Christian without church. But the meaning of church is God's people, the place where God dwells. And it's a little bit like saying, I can be someone that loves you know, God's people. People say, I can do church on my own. But you can't do church on your own because church is God's people. And God dwells in his people. So you can see how... In a kind of a way, it's, it's saying you need to be a part of what God's doing. You need to be a part of God's people. What I found interesting in this chapter was the, the thing about famine. And in, in the Chronicles version of this, it is the more famous phrase which says, If my people which are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, then I will hear from heaven and heal their land. So in the Chronicles version of this prayer, we see that sometimes the land gets sick or the environment, you could say, gets sick. But when God's people pray, then the land or the environment gets healed. There's so much talk about climate change today in the world, and people are thinking about it purely in terms of science. They think there's too much carbon, too many trees being chopped down, too much garbage in the ocean, all this stuff, and they think we've got to fix it scientifically. Well, I, I do think we should clean up the oceans, and, and I do think that being mindful of the environment is important, especially given what God said to Adam and Eve about caring for the earth. 
you know, the first mandate for um, Adam for people was to look after the earth. So obviously that's important, but I think we've got to be realized that our own sinful hearts is what causes a lot of the problems. If you think about the very first sin of Adam and Eve, the whole of creation was plunged under a curse. So if you think about climate change in terms of, you know, the effect on the climate of sin, all of the climate, all of the earth, all of creation is being frustrated and cursed because of sin. And so if we are people that repent of our sins, if we get our act right, what does the Lord say? He would turn from heaven and heal the land. So there's something about when the earth turns to God that has a wonderful effect on the environment. <laughs> and I'm not going to say more about it than that, but someone should really research that whole theme in the scripture because it's, it, it turns out that what happens to the planet is not only affected by physical things like recycling and other stuff, but it's also affected by spiritual things like our attitudes and our sins. They have profoundly influenced the environment as well. So the last point that's worth making is just to think about Solomon's comment where he said, Lord, the heavens cannot contain you, uh, let alone this building that I have built. And I think that for, for Solomon, you know, he spent a lot of effort and time and money, a lot of detail went into this building, even though it was a small building. And we already estimated that this was a $100 billion project. And I think Solomon would have realized, and he, we can see from his prayer that he would have realized that the whole universe is so big and so grand. And God, you know, we can't make you come and live in this building, but please come and dwell with us. So there was something that acknowledges the grandeur of God, but also there's a humble request saying, Lord, come and be with us. Solomon had no idea how grand the universe was. In the news yesterday, I was reading about the discovery of the first planet from another galaxy. Now, we, you know, planets, planets out there in space are very hard to discover because they don't glow on their own. Uh, sun, st stars, you know, which are suns, they have a, they're a light source, so you can see that dot of light in the sky. And with telescopes looking around, you can see all these dots. The planets don't glow, so they're super hard to find. Even the ones in our own solar system are hard to find. But you know, our own solar system is just one, one star in our own galaxy called the Milky Way galaxy, which has 150 billion stars. Not million, billion. So our own galaxy is a huge thing. And, um, but they've just found their first planet in another galaxy. This is the Whirlpool Galaxy, and it has a complicated name like M52 and a whole bunch of stuff, letters and numbers. I don't remember the name of the planet. But it's, this is an incredible, incredible discovery. And they generally only can find a planet when the planet moves across in front of the star because they can see the little shadow going across. So that planet is 28 million light years away. So a light travels at the speed of 300,000 kilometers, very roughly, per second. Now, if you hop in your car and you drive, you're allowed to drive in Australia at 100 kilometers an hour, but light travels at 300,000 kilometers, not an hour, a second. And if you travel at that speed for a year, that's a light year. It's something like 79 trillion kilometers. And you know, the average person, you and me, me included, doesn't get 
a sense of how far a trillion kilometers is. But this planet was discovered 28 million light years. In other words, 28 million times 79 trillion kilometers. That's how far away this planet was that was discovered in the Whirlpool Galaxy, and that's one of the close galaxies. There are galaxies. There are more than 100 billion galaxies, each with between 100 to 200 billion stars in them. How many of them must have planets? There must be so many trillions of planets out there. We've just discovered our first one in another galaxy. <laughs> so when Solomon says, all of the heavens cannot contain you, we're talking about a very, very grand God. And when he says to God, please come and dwell in this temple that I've made for you. Now this temple was the most elaborate thing on earth, and yet you realize that God must have looked at that temple and thought it's a matchbox. <laughs> and he, you know, he didn't have to dwell in the temple. You know, and, and when, when we think of a passage like this, we think, you know what, who are we that God comes to dwell with us? God doesn't have to dwell in us. We're just a matchbox. The body of Christ, you know, we're a temple. It's just a matchbox. And our prayer, Lord, come and fill your temple. It's similar to Solomon because we know that God is so grand. He doesn't have to come and dwell with us. We don't deserve it. So we're asking him with humility, but we're also asking him with faith because we know he wants to. And that's very, very cool. Lord, our prayer is come and dwell in your temple. We don't deserve it. We're just a matchbox. But Lord, you are so grand that come and fill our lives and hearts with your presence, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.